Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. So my first question is, why in the hell don't the Rams have indoor plumbing? This is the Press Box. You're not at a great point in your life when you have to take a dump in a port of money, right? True. That's not a great day for you. With Grady and Bischoff. Shove it in. Someone from the Hard Knocks who took a dump in the porta potty. <laughs> like they immediately blame the media. Like we get blamed for everything. It's fine to blame us for like if you want, we think we're negative. But we gotta draw the line that we're taking the dumps in the porta potty. No. At that point, I draw the line. Big, big, big day ahead. You know what today is? No. You don't? What's today? This is the day Rich Bisacci is gonna stake his claim. Oh. So the day Mark Davis just gives a courtesy interview to then ignore the guy that led his team to the playoffs. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy that everybody is like, ah, oh, he definitely earned or has, deserves a serious consideration, serious interview. But nobody outside of the players are actually saying, yeah, Rich Passaccia should be the guy. No. Like, has anybody no said that? Not outside the locker room. Right. Only uh, players have said that. Yes, they've said that. But everybody's like, oh, yeah, he got to the playoffs. But I don't like. Nobody likes change. Those players don't want change. <laughs> No, you're right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, they, they don't. They, they're they afraid of change because, you know, the new guy might come in and say, I don't think you're that good. Yeah, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way to look at it, by the I way. Mean, they don't want change. Like, even yeah. if they had missed the playoffs, they're probably still out here no. campaigning for Rich Passaccia. Absolutely. Like, if they lose that final week to the Chargers, they're like, you know what? We were close. This guy loves us. Let's keep Rich Passaccia right. He doesn't yell on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked. The first bite. The first bite today is brought to you by Chick-fil-A. Should Mark Davis try to hire a big name? I think this is kind of easy because how many big names are really out there that would be, well, I'm not going to say interested, but who would be available. So Jim Harbaugh. Yep. Mike Tomlin. Is, but, but see, is Tomlin even out there? Yeah. He's still well, you'd have to, yeah, well, you'd, you'd have, have to trade give up. you have to trade it for him. The, the report... Who what, was that? Ian Rappaport, I think. No, it was Jay Glazer that had that report in season. Was that the Raiders might try to trade for a head coach? Which was he mentioned Mike Tomlin and Sean Payton, which okay. either one would be a big name. So those yeah. are really the only three big names, big big names that we've heard. The rest are the, every other coach in this search is either a coordinator or was a head coach somewhere right. else that got fired. Right. Like everybody loves him, but would you consider Brian Flores a big name? No. Okay. Not at all. So then there is there isn't Jeff Fisher. Like outside of outside of Harbaugh and then two guys that are currently coaching NFL teams, like the next biggest name is probably Doug Peterson. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is a big name, but <laughs> have you seen Doug Peterson? Not not connected to the Raiders, but he's That's been a, mentioned okay. that he's gonna interview for somebody okay. that has an all opening. Right. But that but no, but <laughs> that's really the next biggest name that's out. I mean, he won a Super Bowl. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl. Exactly. But, like, okay. that's, but I don't think anybody considers Doug Peterson a, no. a big name either. So it's really like, if he's going... And, and the reason you asked us about Mark Davis is if you look at his last two head coaching hires in the two teams that he owns, he hired John Gruden and he hired Becky Hammond. Yeah, big and in, names. And in both scenarios, he didn't have to fire his head coach at the time. He had Jack Del Rio, who granted, I think they had won six games, but the year before... They've been to the playoffs as a 12 win team. And he said, get the hell out of here. I finally got John Gruden. And then in the WNBA, got Bill Lambeer, right? He didn't have to go find a new coach. Get the hell out of here. I got Becky Hammond. So he's certainly shown over the last five years or so, he likes to go after the big He likes to splash. Right. Which 
I mean, if it's the right guy, good for him. Would be Jim Harbaugh or making a trade for Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, which until we get some sort of reporting on that, I'm going to assume that that's not actually going to happen. The trade or Jim Harbaugh? The trade. The trade. I think Harbaugh got a decent chance, even though we don't have any, even though we're going on like the pastors, the recruit pastor telling us yeah hey, he said he'd consider the nfl worse sources yeah but like i i think harbaugh could happen i'd be until we get more on the hey they're interested in tomlin or peyton and they're willing to give yeah. up blank like i think that's a little far-fetched for the time being is it weird that i would be willing to give up two first round picks for tomlin but i would be willing to just be like here here's a second rounder for peyton i eh. i don't know if it's weird I think Tomlin's by far the number one name on the, every list that's been out there, but I also don't think there's much of a chance it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't Tomlin's either. already talking about his quarterback in the next year. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, that might be the way to do I it because he's talking about Mason, Mason Rudolph. Rudolph. You might be like, listen, we got this Derek Carr guy. It's a lot better than that Mason Rudolph. <laughs> you know dude. how it, for ten years you never had to have a single talk with Ben Roethlisberger, and you referred to him as exclusively as seven because you didn't know his name. We got a guy just like <laughs> yes. that. His name's Derek Carr. You just call him whatever you want to call him. Call him four. Call him four. And everything will be fine. That That's the pitch to Mike Tomlin. I don't know what the pitch is to the Steelers to actually trade him, but that's the pitch to Mike Tomlin. So what's the Rich Bisaccia pitch? They love me? I think that's it, but he doesn't yell. I mean, listen, if you're Rich Bisaccia, I think you're. You, there's two things you're telling Mark Davis today. Number one, the player's have obviously gone to bat publicly saying, we love this guy. We want him to still be the head coach. You've heard that from a handful of players now. But on the other side, I think it's pretty easy. You walk in there and you say, listen, Mark, your organization's been to the playoffs twice in 18 years. I'm responsible for one of those. Like, I I did that. I did that. And if you want to go back, I I did it. I took you to the playoffs. So let's do this again. Let's do it again. And even though... I don't think it, it would work out very well. If the Raiders stayed, like, basically status quo, right, if they kept Rich Passaggi and kept the roster as much intact as you can keep an NFL roster from year to year, I don't think they'd be very good next year, right? I think they're not making the playoffs. I think they're the third-best team in the AFC West. But if you're Rich Passaggi, you're walking in there saying, I made the playoffs. Like, I put this team in the playoffs, and look at all the crap I had to navigate through. Just imagine if we have a year where we don't have the head coach resign because of emails, right? Just imagine how great it'll be around here. So... That's the pitch. I don't, but do you get the sense Mark Davis is actually considering hiring Rich Versace? I just don't. Yeah. I don't think he is. I don't I think, And I'm wondering, again, he's, you know, he's talking to Versace today. He's already asked for permission and other guys. I, I would just, I'd hire the GM first and maybe he will, but you're not going to hire the GM. I, I, if I'm a guy, if I'm whoever, and I'm on the list for a GM, and I'm interviewing for that job, I'm sorry. I want kind of the lion's share of power to pick the coach. Right. So now maybe he's just interviewing Basachi because Basachi is there and he's his interim coach and he can get that over with. Yeah. I The GM head coach thing is fascinating to me because if Jim Harbaugh is a real candidate, right? If you hire Jim Harbaugh, I'm assuming it's the same type of setup that John Gruden had. Well, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is coming unless it is. Right, where you might have a GM by name, but Jim Harbaugh is making the personnel decisions. He is the de facto general manager. But really, any of these other names, right, if you hire any of the coordinators or something like that from other teams, 
you probably want to hire your GM first. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm fascinated by that because again, if you're going Harbaugh, you hire Harbaugh and then whoever the hell Harbaugh wants to be the GM, right? It's the same exact thing that John Gruden did. Whoever that guy says should be the GM, great. Let's go get that guy and that's your team. Work from there. But if you hire, if you're planning on not hiring Harbaugh, if Harbaugh says no or whatever, then you should be hiring the general manager first, mm-hmm. and then the GM should have input. A lot whatever, of say in who the coach is. On who the coach is. And listen, they might hire a GM, and the GM might be like, I love this Rich Basaccia guy. Let's keep him around. Like, that could happen. It's unlikely, but that could happen. But I think it's fascinating because there is that one big name that would basically, we assume, get GM control, and everybody else, you're saying, no, 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 we yeah. need a GM, and then that guy. So that'd be fascinating. By the way, we forgot one possible big name, Dabo Sweeney. Well, he was on the sidelines. He was here. Okay. He was here. Who would Hunter Renfro promote more, Rich Bisacci or Dabo oh, Sweeney? Good question. Oh, have to I think somehow it's get be him Dabo. on the phone. I think it's got to be Dabo. Probably be Dabo. He might be the guy in, well, no, they've got more than one Clemson player. The Clemson <laughs> players could line up for Dabo. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, well, Furl is like playing out of his yeah. mind. It was just like, oh, okay, apparently that's what we need. Half needed. the team would have to show up to Mark Davis's house and uh, politic for Dabo. Yeah, Dabo Sweeney, your next head coach. So I, I'm curious the timeline, the timing of who they hire first. Like, let me ask you this: if they, if Mark Davis announces, let's just say next Monday, right, he has hired a general manager, not a head coach yet, but a general manager. Would you take that to mean Jim Harbaugh is not going to be the head coach? Yeah, because I think Harbaugh's not coming unless he has full power. He's going to have, I mean, Harbaugh is going to have the leverage in any negotiation, yeah. right? They're going to, he's going to want what he wants, and Davis either going to give it to him or not. So if you're Mark Davis, and yeah, you're going to interview other people, but are you basically going to Harbaugh first? Like, is that is that the domino that affects the rest of the offseason? Right? Like, you get once you get a yes or a no from Harbaugh that can then impact the rest of your offseason. Like, is that where you're going first? Oh, I was just going to say one name we forgot. Jason Witten. Oh, boy. How does high school team do? All I remember is sure. somebody compared him to Tom Landry. <laughs> the only reason I remember that is because I typed in something into our library and a sound file popped up that says, Witten is Tom Landry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you think. I'm not, I'm just not. In favor of one guy having all the power. I wrote that today. I'm, I'm just not that guy that likes that. Um, it works for Bill Belichick. And the reason people keep bringing up Bill Belichick, it really only works for Bill Belichick. You've had examples in the past like Mike Holmgren, who it didn't work for, and guys who want all this power. I wouldn't give Jim – and here's the thing. it's I'm torn on that because I think Jim Harbaugh – if you can't get Tomlin, I think Jim Harbaugh is the next best coach. But to give him all the power and to have him just kind of hire a de facto GM – I don't know if that would work out, but you're right. I would I would go to Harbaugh first because that's either going to be a quick no or he's going to start negotiating. And the only thing he's negotiating is I want all power. Right. That's all he's going to say. I want I want to make all personnel decisions. I'll make the final decisions in the draft and trades, and then I'll be your coach. And then he'll say, so how many years did you give John Gruden? Yeah. I'll how take, much money did you give him? I'll take that. Too. Yeah. That sounds good. Uh, by the way, Jason Witten and his Argyle Liberty Christian football team Two and eight. Oh, yeah, but it was a pandemic. <laughs> it was the pandemic. He's in two te- and eight. He's in Texas. They don't have a pandemic two and there. Eight. They forgot. <laughs> two and eight. He won his uh, season opener against Legacy Christian Academy and won the season uh, finale against John Paul, but they had an eight-game losing streak in between. <sighs> Tough. 
Buzz for sure, coach. No, yeah. He's got to get his own guys in there. Got outscored by 115 points in 10 games. It's a parochial school. He'll get his own guys in there. They lost a game 7-6 to six this year. Oh, those are tough ones. Also lost one 38-2. to two. To two? <laughs> he knows how to coach defense? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they got a safety in the first quarter. Lost 38-2. to two. <laughs> So maybe don't hire Jason Witten. Yeah, I don't think you should. Give him a chance. Records don't matter. Coming up next, we find out if Phillip Rivers was a better high school coach than Jason Witten. I'm excited about that challenge. Those of us that are competitors are. It makes you uneasy. But I've learned to run to those challenges. Um, I've learned to appreciate those challenges. The uncertainty surrounding them is inspiring to me in terms of producing work. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Philip Rivers, head coach of St. Michael Catholic in Alabama, six and three. Oh, much better Solid. than Jason Witt. Jason Witt and two and eight. Philip Rivers, six and three. Give me Philip Rivers. Next so Rivers, head coach of the Raiders. Oh, Philip Rivers is a big name. Would be a big name. It's a big name. I don't know, big name coach, but it would be a big <laughs> name. name. Philip Rivers comes in and says, all right. First head coach slash starting quarterback in the NFL. Well, <laughs> at least for a long time. Maybe that happened in like the 30s or something like that. But at least for a long time. All right. We got big news in UNLV football. Yeah, we do. They landed a transfer quarterback from Tennessee named Harrison Bailey. Bailey played two years at Tennessee in 2020. He became the starter very late in the year through 68 passes, completed 46 of them. 578 yards, four touchdowns, two picks. Then got bumped down the depth chart through coaching changes and incoming transfers. He was third on the depth chart to start last year. He only threw seven passes for 16 yards last season. In 2020, he was a four-star recruit. Um, So let me ask you this. Harrison Bailey, neither one of us, I assume, have seen him play. Should he be the immediate starter for UNLV? I don't know if anyone should be the immediate starter. I will say this, though. The portal is something where you don't know on a day-to-day basis who you're going to get or who you're going to lose. So I have no problem them bringing another quarterback into the room. You're a star guy. Uh, He's a four-star recruit, uh, which means he was very well thought of. He had offers from some really, really good schools. So I think you'd let him come in and compete. But I would think, given his background and his, his resume, He'd have the edge over who else is in the room. They do have the freshman of the year in the league, uh, and Cameron Friel. So yeah, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's a, a great transfer for them. You have to bring. It's the most important position. They haven't had great play from that position, and if you're going to bring in a kid like this, kind of like I said with his resume, good for them. I thought it was, a, I thought it was really good that he could get a kid like this to come. So I think the quarterback position has been the biggest hole for UNLV for. We're going on like a decade. Like when's the last good quarterback UNLV had? Like they haven't had good play from that position in a very long time. And it's not the only problem, right? UNLV has had horrific defenses, right? We were like, oh, the defense was improved last year. It still gave up like 30 points a game, right? Like last year was a good defense and it was still one of the worst in the Mountain West. So there's plenty of holes. But I do believe if UNLV could find a good quarterback, and I'm talking like, this guy is clearly the you know top four in the Mountain West good type of quarterback. That is the biggest thing they need to actually win games and go to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing that I think this program needs. 
I don't think Cameron Friel is that guy, right? He's a freshman of the year. He had a solid freshman season, especially given the circumstances of them using 74 quarterbacks. But I don't think it's Cameron Friel. I think you need somebody that is better than Cameron Friel, significantly better than Cameron Friel. And Harrison Bailey could be that, right? Again, top, sure. he was a top 100 recruit in the class of 2020. Now, I do have one bit of caution, though, on Harrison Bailey. Justin Rogers was a highly, more highly ranked recruit than Harrison Bailey. Justin Rogers is the transfer from TCU. Uh, Justin Rogers is the quarterback that could not get on the field last year after the first couple of games of the season because of how bad he was. When you get a transfer and the main thing you're going off of as to whether or not that guy is good is his recruiting ranking that is two or three years old, that usually means the guy has not lived up to his recruiting ranking. That's generally what that means. And Harrison Bailey, by basically not starting last year, by throwing seven passes last year, it's fair to say he did not live up to being a top 100 recruit in the class of 2020, right? Same well, who thing beat happened. him out? Another top 100 recruit? Uh, they brought in a transfer. I don't know who it was. I don't remember who it was. Okay. But, like, it's it's not a good thing when you get a transfer and the first thing or the only thing to basically promote him is, well, two years ago he was a four-star recruit, right? If there's no real on-field play to point to and say, look how good he did in a game, it's generally a bad thing. It's the same thing in the NFL. When you acquire a player, it's like, well, he's a former first-round pick. Hasn't done anything since then. But at one point, people thought he was good. That's, I think, my big hesitation because we literally just saw this with Justin Rogers. We just saw Marcus Arroyo bring in former four-star quarterback that was going to a Power 5 conference that didn't get enough playing time. Justin Rogers had some injury issues but didn't get enough playing time, come to UNLV, and is not any good yeah. at all. We we literally just saw but this I, play out. I just can't compare him to the other Justin Rogers. Maybe he's the four-star recruit that wasn't any good, and this kid's a four-star recruit who's great. And he, yes, he very well might be, and that's the thing. That's why I said at the beginning of the segment, we haven't seen him play. So no. I, <laughs> I don't know how good this guy is at all. But, it's if, again, if you're UNLV, you're taking this kid you're taking him in a every second. single you're day. You're taking of the him week. in a second. Yeah, no absolutely. doubt about it. Absolutely. Because you haven't had great quarterback play. This guy might be awesome. And if he is, it could fix one of the biggest problems that the program's had for like a decade. Now, what I am curious, though, did Marcus Arroyo promise playing time or starters position to Harrison Bailey? I have no idea what he promised this kid. Because I have no idea what he we promised. We are talking this kid. about. Again, a former. The reason we think it's a big deal for UNLV is because they don't get four-star recruits out of high school, right? The only way right. they get them is guys that transfer. Harrison Bailey, I assume, could have gone somewhere better than UNLV. I assume there are schools that are better than UNLV that would have been like, oh, former four-star recruit that was a backup at an SEC program, we'll take him, right? I imagine there is. So, I am very curious if Marcus Arroyo made any like playing time promises to Harrison Bailey if he said, listen. Commit to UNLV, come play for us. You're our starting quarterback, right? I'm fascinated to know that because that might that might be how you land this kid. That might be how you land the guy that everybody's excited about. But I also don't know if that's the smartest thing to do, given that you don't know if he's any good or not. Or you know who's in your quarterback room, and, and you've you- seen this guy on film, <laughs> and you know you say, okay, this guy's better than who we have, so we're going <laughs> to promise him that he's a starter and he's going to play. Yeah. And I don't know that I have a big problem with that. Because- I don't either. Because listen, you can say the guy's the starter, and then you can you can go back and say, "Well, you got beat. Like you got right. beat out for the position. Like you get in the season, and like, yeah, we made him the starter, but like he's bad for two games. You can be like, well, 
we we promised you the starting job. We gave it to you, and then you blew it. Like, right. You can always go back if the guy underperforms, no doubt about it. Now, the problem would be if you promised him the starting job and then spring ball and in the fall, it's like, oh, Doug Brumfield might be a little bit better than this guy. Then you run into a problem where it's like, yeah. He's not really the best guy, but it's not a big enough gap that we bench him over it. So fascinating to see. But good day for you and LB. Got a quarterback. Got a quarterback. Maybe. Maybe a good quarterback. And I'm curious to see how much he plays and how good he is. I'm just as impressed with my preview roundup to the show today that I saw I got a picture of him. You did find a picture. I found a picture of him. There were there were several online actually of Harrison Bailey, but uh I picked one and it was the one from I knew it was him. Because the cut line on the picture was 19 hours ago or whatever it is, Harrison Bailey committed to UNLV. So I said, okay, this must be him. Plus, all the guys in the pictures were wearing 15. So I, I mean, just assumed it was him. Played quarterback at an SEC school. There's got to yeah. be lots of pictures of this guy. Absolutely. Harrison Bailey, future Good UNLV day for the Rebels. Star. Good day. It is. I mean, it is, again, I, I'll give you a little bit of hesitation because we just saw it with Justin Rogers, but I think it is generally – one of the best things Arroyo's brought into the program. Like, because again, they need to fix the quarterback position. They need somebody that is good at that position. You can get by with average Mountain West players at pretty much every other position, but you need, they need somebody good at the quarterback, at quarterback. position. And Harrison Bailey might be terrible. Harrison Bailey might not play a snap next year because Doug Brumfield or Cam Friel's better than him. That might happen, but at least you're giving yourself a shot. That is, I think, one of the big things Arroyo that he's done well, he's brought in a lot of quarterbacks. He has brought in a ton of quarterbacks. None of them have really worked out, but he's brought in a lot of quarterbacks basically saying, let's, he, I think he knows he's got to find the guy. He's got to find the guy that can be here for two or three years and And be the guy two or three years and be the guy. He hasn't found him yet. So he's going to keep bringing guys in until that actually happens. Coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show from the draw. They score penguins have tied it. The quick rip from Kapanen. Ninth of the season for Kasperi and Now across to the left into Matheson shot stop. The wraparound try kicked in by Leonard. Penguins take the lead four to three. The top line for Pittsburgh went right to the net and Gensel tucks it in at the right post. Pittsburgh has erased a three goal deficit to take a four three lead. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Granny and Bischoff. Joining us now is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. How Hello, are you? Ben. Morning, gentlemen. Not too bad. How are you? Good. All right. Important question off the bat. When the hell is Jack Eichel going to play a game? Who even knows? You know, you've got to line up the rotation of the earth and the sun to figure out <laughs> when finally this guy is going to be able to have contact on that neck. Uh, I really don't know. Obviously, in talking to him last week, even he doesn't know, which is somewhat understandable. I don't think that's just kind of, you know, talking around the topic just because he's the first NHL player to ever have this kind of surgery. And so uh, you get why they're kind of slow playing it, why they are uh, keeping it, you know, very, very slow right now to make sure that that neck is going to be fully ready to go the first time he can just gets smashed into the boards. We're still about, you know, two to three weeks out from kind of the front end of the initial timeline that was given when he had the surgery. Kelly McCrimmon said three to five months. 
He had the surgery in about like mid-ish November. So if we're talking like, you know, February 10th to 12th, that's about three months. Now, obviously, he could go up to five months, which would put him in April. The fact that he's here skating with the Golden Knights, practicing a part of the team now makes me think, you know, it's probably going to be closer to the three-month range than the five-month, but uh, that's just kind of pure speculation. It just really seems that no one's quite sure how they're ultimately going to handle this just because no one's ever had to handle something like this before in the NHL. Is there any question the minute the doctor says he's ready the next day he plays? I, I think he'll be pushing to play. I mean, obviously, this is a guy that hasn't played since March. So for you know anyone that probably thinks the Knights are going to try to slow play this as much as possible for cap reasons, yeah, I think they would like to. I don't know if Jack Eichel is necessarily going to be thrilled about that. Because like I said, you could just tell the joy on his face when he took part in an optional morning skate with like no veterans out there that this guy is ready to play hockey again. This guy is ready to be a part of a hockey team again. Because until he took the ice with the Knights last week, he really hadn't been part of one for about 10 months. So this guy is just absolutely rearing to go, wants to get back out there, wants to kind of show that he's still got it. So as soon as he, I think, hears the magic words, hey, you're ready, he is going to immediately go up to Pete and be like, all right, where am I playing? And I think that's exactly how that's going to go down. Golden Knights are leading the Pacific Division despite everything that they've been through injury-wise this season. Uh, But even though it looks like they could be on cruise control to win the division, is there a point where there should be legitimate concern about Robin Leonard's play? Uh, yes, and I'll quick say that they're not actually leading the Pacific Division anymore because Calgary won last night. So in terms of points, oh, percentage, boy, yeah. they're tied for first. So this kind of slip at home has cost them. Uh, and yeah, Leonard is so interesting to think and break down his season right now. Because the odds, stating the obvious, it has not been as good as I think most people would have expected coming into this year. I mean, he has a 904 save percentage, which would be the lowest he's ever had in a full season since his rookie year, basically like more than a decade ago. Uh, he has a 295 goals against average. And while the Knights' defense has not been stellar in front of him, I also don't think he's necessarily kind of propping up their defense like maybe he and Marc Andre Fleury did. Last year, because even though the Knights won the Jennings Trophy last year, I don't think they were a shutdown defensive unit skater-wise. I think Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard did a very good job kind of covering up for whatever holes on the defense did arise and made the defense look really, really good, and that's not happening this year. Now, even in last night against the Penguins, it becomes difficult because I don't know which of those goals Robin Leonard is supposed to save. They were all, I mean, very, very difficult uh, attempts. I mean, the first one is a giant scrum around the net. The second one's uh, a rebound goal where his defenseman should have been able to get the guy crashing to the net. Uh, the go-ahead goal of the tip right in front of the net off a face-off that happens so quickly. I don't know how he's supposed to just react to that. But at some point, you also, you know, in a lot of these games, need your goaltender to come up with a big save. And it just feels like throughout a lot of this season, the Knights aren't getting that they're 22nd in the NHL and team save percentage. They were second last year. It's been a pretty steep drop off. And obviously they knew they were getting somewhat of a drop off when they exchanged Mark Andre Fleury for essentially the rent 
Bressois to lower the cap it. I don't think they wanted this big of one. I don't necessarily, obviously, expect this to be the Robin Leonard we get all year just because, as I kind of mentioned before, his track record says this is not him. But as of, like, right now, as of, you know, almost halfway through this year, I don't think the Knights goaltending as a whole has performed as well as people might have expected. How much will things change when Alec Martinez is back? They'll definitely change a little bit. I mean, he's obviously a great two-way defenseman. I mean, Pete DeVore mentioned how kind of they probably missed his net front presence in front. But I also don't want to just kind of assume that Alec Martinez is going to be a tonic for all that this team has been missing the past two months. I mean, I looked last night, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are playing with four defensemen, period. Like, they only had four defensemen <laughs> on their roster last night because of uh, all these you know injury COVID issues they've had. And they still won because uh, Victor Hedman is incredible. Uh, they beat the Kings last night. So, you know, the Knights against the Penguins kind of post-game, both you know, Pete DeBoer and Mark Stone kind of did the thing of like, hey, we don't want to make an excuse for the injuries, but it's the injuries. But other teams are going through this too, and they're going through it to several degrees, kind of even more than the Knights. And the Knights had six NHL defensemen in the lineup against the Penguins. I mean, even though obviously some of those guys aren't their first choice guys, they'd prefer to have Alec Martinez in there. It's not like they were completely throwing out, you know, a ragtag group. I think that excuse holds a little bit more weight, you know, in the Maple Leafs game where Daniil Miramanoff, who was a guy that kind of wasn't on the radar coming into the year, had to play on defense in that game. But while Alec Martinez, yeah, like I said, will help, it's not like the Knights are thrown out kind of, um, you know, nobody's random kind of warm bodies in their lineup. Because, uh, like I said, some other teams are going through it even more than them. The Lightning didn't even have warm bodies, apparently, to throw in the lineup last night. So I think the issues go deeper than just, hey, Martinez isn't in there. Where's the dog? Who's the dog? We need more info on the dog. Oh, that's my lovely dog, uh, who is being very protective of the house because there are people who dare to walk in front of our house uh, this lovely morning. So she has <laughs> to make sure to send them on their way as expeditiously as possible. That's right. You've now been protected. Just think that the whole house would have just been gone if it wasn't for your dog right now. I'm on it. Like, I'm so glad that we got our dog just because it's a great investment on the house. I mean, like this house would have, I assume, been burned down if we didn't get our dog. It's the best, you know, adoption fee we ever spent. I don't know how we ever get a better return on investment than that money. Can your dog like see out a window out to see in front of the house? She can, which is trick because she's, uh, you know, she's an old girl and one of the eyes is getting a little bit cloudy. So I'm always impressed <laughs> that she still has the eyesight to see all the way out and make sure like, nope, there's shapes moving out there. I don't like it. See, Not moving shapes. Because our dog would do the same thing, except we don't have like a window that she can look out to see the front of our house. So she doesn't get to just sit there and bark at things the entire day, which is phenomenal for us. She just barks at sounds. But if she could see things, it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, occasionally if it gets too bad, we got to close up the shades, and that usually shuts down the problem. But, uh, you know, in the morning, we'll let, let's, let's let her get a little bit of sun. Well, thank goodness Tyler's dogs weren't in the way of his car as he ran into the house. Yeah, that that wouldn't have been good. Did you see that on Twitter? Oh, absolutely. It was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we all leave our car in park or in drive, and it runs into our own house. It happens. It happens. He's Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Ben? We appreciate it. Thank you, Benjamin. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. There he is.
dogs got to protect the house? Yeah. Do your dogs bark at everything? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. Our Not dog, usually. Our, our Shih Tzu barks at everything she hears. Anything she hears, she barks at. We Our neighbors moved, thank God, but they had a little small yappy dog like we did. And anytime those two dogs would be out in the backyard at the same time, They'd both be at the wall, just losing. Going their minds. after each other. It's a it's a cement block wall. They can't <laughs> see they're not through. through. They don't. But they, they don't know it's over. But they know somebody else that's really annoying is on the other side of that wall, and they would just lose it, barking at each other. Thank God they moved because now we don't have to deal with that. <laughs> but that was the worst. Like we couldn't let our dog. Out. We'd be like, all right, come back in. Like she's losing her mind in the corner of the yard, barking at the other dog. Ridiculous. All right, coming up next, either the best or worst segment of the entire show. High voice guy for no reason. Never understood it. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. The gang's back together. Ed Tyler. <laughs> Critiquing yourself. <laughs> Whacking Karen, that thing around. Karen, uh, yeah. Well, it's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's out. happened? Like, the last couple of weeks, you've been, like, randomly critiquing your own voice during yeah. our rejoins. It's just, it's embarrassing. I, mean, it's... I don't know what happened. <laughs> I get excited. Excited to be here. He's just doing his own self-critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice, apparently. Yeah. The only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around. You're in the press box with Tyler Bischoff and NSMA Nevada Sports Writer of the Year, Ed Graney. Uh, it may not mean nothing to y'all. Understand nothing was done for me. Congratulations, so Ed. Yeah, thank congratulations. You. Thank you. Sports Writer of the Year. I don't know where they get it. No idea. Wait, how many times? Seven? Seven. Seven. You should get a ring for all those. Like uh, fantasy football. Uh, we got the fantasy football ring today. It's now <laughs> sitting on the uh, on the bookshelf at home. It will not be worn. Will not be worn until no. draft day, right? Until draft day. It's okay. the only time you can really wear it and not look like a complete idiot. Do you get a plaque for Sports Writer of the Year? Uh, a kind of a award trophy thing. Oh, an actual trophy? Like a gla- well, no, like a glass... I gotcha, guess gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a trophy, but not it's kind like of more the, of a glass plaque. Right. Not like the twelve-year-old softball. There's a little gold figurine. No. On. Yeah, there's, no. there's a guy, no. a little gold guy, in front of a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a typewriter, Jared. They haven't oh, updated okay. it. Okay. <laughs> well, like the Grammy is still for some reason a record player. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. Ed Graney. Good job. Thank Congratulations. You, Thank you. Seven-time winner. Uh, too bad you got to share with Russ Langer, the broadcaster of the year. You guys should have to fight for who wins the over. There should be like a number one trophy. You guys have to fight each other. <laughs> no, Russ is a nice guy. Be fun. He great is a guy. nice guy. He's a great guy. Be great fun, guy. So Ed Graney over here, which by the way, we had Jeff Grammer on the show earlier this week. He yeah. won the New Mexico sports he did. writer of the year. He did. So we're, we're just going to go on a tour of the United States and have all the sports writers of the year. <laughs> I don't think so. so we need Who's to do? the Alaska I don't know. I don't know either. What are they covering in Alaska? It's probably the guy that covers like the uh, Iditarod. Yeah, that that, that one, dude. the dog racing one. That's what I assume is up there. I would love a Ed Graney-esque like <laughs> column on and the local dog team. <laughs> do you? Do, is there like criticism of people who do Iditarod? Like, are there people that like? Sports journalists that cover that sport that are like, oh, 
big failure today on the track. I don't know. I think they're in Alaska. That must be one of the number one things they cover. I mean, you mean ripping the dogs for being slow? Well, yeah, I'm just saying, how do you exactly rip like this guy yeah. and his dogs were just going <laughs> through a blizzard in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, but they finished in third today, a big letdown. That'd be a harsh column to write. Right. That'd be a harsh column to write. I would be just amazed and, you know... Uh, in awe of people who do that, so it'd be all positive it, on my end. It would. It, it's literally he's ripping the guy who's like, but his Instagram has a million followers. <laughs> Came in seventh. That's right. But his Instagram. What you do, man? Australia or Australia, Alaska? Oh, be a rough place to cover things. Be a rough place to live. I what mean, you, what do you do? I in went Alaska? there. Covered college basketball last Anchorage one time. The um, like Anchorage shootout when they had that. And I knew I was in trouble when I parked the rent a car and there was a huge <laughs> box in front of me. And I had no idea what that was, right? So, and it's just freezing. And it's like three in the afternoon and completely dark. I mean, it was the weirdest <laughs> place. And I actually asked when I went in because every stall had a box. I'd never been there. So I had no idea what this was. And she's like, well, that's the plug in the car. I go, what? She goes, if you go to the front of your car, there's a little latch. Just take the the cable out and plug it in, or your your engine's gonna overnight. So I ran back out there and plugged that thing, and I had no no idea. You think what they that tell was. you that when you rent a car? You yeah, you think yeah. the idiot from you know at that point San Diego they're like yeah this buffoon he's not gonna know to plug in the car. We better we better tell him what to do here. That's one of my favorite fun facts is uh, in certain countries in Europe, rental companies will give you a like. A sheet of paper that is how to drive an automatic. Yeah. Because none of them know how to, yeah. no one in Europe yeah. drives an automatic. Oh, can you see me on the wrong side of the road? <laughs> no chance. No chance I leave the rental car company oh, without crashing. Man. No chance. You would absolutely drive on I've the driven, wrong side of the road, wouldn't yes, you? Yes. I've driven in a lot in Europe, but someone's always driving and I'm in the back. <laughs> they put me in the back because they don't want me anywhere near pedals. Well, or... wait. Not every country drives on the opposite side. No. Don't most countries are the same as us? Ireland, I've been in, is the opposite. Uh, when I took an Uber in London last time, it was the same as us. It was the same as us. And when we took Ubers from, you know, maybe they just had different. I don't think so. We uh, we took Ubers from like Heathrow into into London, and the guy driving drove very fast and very erratic, <laughs> but he was at least on the right side of the road. There are. 163 countries that drive on the right side of the road, like us. 76 countries that drive on the left side of the road. Wow. So we're we're normal here, and okay. most of Europe is drives on the right side yeah. of the road, like we do. It's I'm trying to read this tiny map here. It's the UK, Australia, India, and like the southern half of Africa drives on the left so side. Basically, of the road. everywhere that. Everywhere, Japan. everywhere, well, except for Japan, that Britain invaded yes. and had except control, <laughs> control over. We were like, listen, we're going to win a revolutionary war, and we're driving on the right side of the road. <laughs> I better tell my cousin PG in Ireland, because he's got the wrong car. Because <laughs> that guy, after a pub one night, was going about 700 miles in the dark, and I think he was on the wrong side, either that or I had, had too much to drink. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. It could have been both. How long ago did you cover basketball in Anchorage? Oh, a while ago, Steve Fisher. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. This was when he was winning California Sports Writer of the no, Year. Uh, it was Steve, one of Steve Fisher's first year because I was his beat writer for about seven years. Um, it was one of his first years they played in Anchorage, and uh, it was god awful cold. 
Just, I just got off. I, I could have this wrong, but I vaguely recall reading a like a reading a story that is like Alaska leads the United States in missing people while simultaneously having like one of the tiniest populations. <laughs> so like people just a lot go, of people out there. People just go up there and are just like bye. You could lose a lot of people out there. I'm I believe sure. it. Oh man. I absolutely. I mean, yeah. And then you don't plug in your car, and all of a sudden you're just stuck somewhere. Oh, that's right. It's a big problem. <laughs> what's that? What's that big box out front looking at me? Oh God, here's this idiot. Uh, you're supposed to plug it in, buddy. You go. You leave it unplugged. Good luck to you starting that thing tomorrow. Jared, they're not missing. They're just all waiting in the parking lot because their <laughs> engines froze and they don't know what happened there. It is 22 degrees in Alaska right now. It's not that cold. That's not that bad. I thought actually. it'd be worse. Yeah. It's a warm sure day. It's like 22 below.